Thank you for tuning in to RTM Nation Online, where we believe that you will receive the abundance of peace, prosperity, security, stability, health, healing, and truth. If you would like to learn more about the ministry, click the link below. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Now let's get into the message. All right, I want to get right into this word, and we'll talk about some things at the end of the, uh, the service. Thank you for being um, flexible, a little different in our um, agenda today. It probably didn't disturb or bother any, any of you as much as it did me. I, I like, you know, I like routine things. So anyway, y'all good? Yes. All right. I know you are. All right. Well, let's get into it. Today we're going to talk about the, um, the message title is Right Believing Equals Right Living. Right Believing Equals Right Living. Amen. Right Believing. Go ahead and say it with me. Right Believing, right believing. Equals, equals Right Living. All right. So, Got to give you time to settle, and you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, the preachers start getting to the message like right during this time right here. People still getting their notepads out and putting peppermints in your mouth. You're adjusting yourself in your seat, so you know, one side is always more comfortable than the other side. You shift your weight. You're doing all of that, so I want to make sure you're ready. All right. You ready? Let's get into it. So, you know, post-salvation, after salvation, um, after being saved, I'll just talk about me, and I'm sure I got some people in here who, who have had, you know, similar experiences. But, you know, there's some stuff that I have done wrong even after salvation. After being saved, you know, there are errors that I still made, there are mistakes you know, or we call them the, that big three-letter word, sin. There's sin committed even after salvation. You ain't got to raise your hand, right? There's sin that's, that's, that's done. There are mistakes that are made. You missed the mark. There have been times that I've missed God's mark. I haven't lived up to his expectation. If he, he, You know, he's given me a standard, and there have been times I've come, come under the standard even after salvation, Right. Even after after salvation, this is the thing that we have to understand and we have to make sure that we get our wording right, because sometimes we what we say, what we communicate doesn't match up with um, in this area, doesn't match up with the truth and things can be confused now. So even after salvation, after salvation, the error, the mistakes that we make, the sin that we commit is not a spirit problem. It's a mind problem. You got that? After you are saved, after you receive Jesus as Lord of your life, some terminology that we use in the church, we say that you're born again. You're recreated. You're made new. You understand that? After receiving Jesus in your life, you are a new creature, the scripture says it. You are a new creation altogether. You understand that? You're not even the same you anymore. You've been born again. There was a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Jesus, and he's trying to understand these things. And, um, you know, Jesus tells them that you must be born again. Nicodemus is trying to fit his mind around that. He says, what are you talking about? Do you mean that I'm a grown man and I have to enter back into my mother's womb? How does this happen? And Jesus let him know that, no, I'm not talking about a physical birth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. You're born again. You're made anew, recreated in Christ Jesus. I understand this, that with the same creative power that God used to create all that we know, all that exists, with the same power that God used to resurrect Jesus from the dead, he used that same power in order to bind you with Jesus, to make you new when you got saved, right? You're new. Your spirit the, the scripture, the word the, the scripture uses is your spirit is quickened. It's like awakened. It's made alive. You understand that? Okay. Um, prior to salvation, you were spiritually dead. 
You received Jesus, you became spiritually alive. You're a new you. The proof of it is this. The proof of it, just in case you doubted it, part of the proof that you can readily see, the proof or the evidence of you being new is either there are things that you used to do that you don't do anymore. The reason that you don't do those things is because you don't think about it the same way. Right? Or you still do the things, but even in doing them, you don't think about it the same way. It doesn't have the same satisfaction because you are new. You're new. Some of us have had the experience where there are things that we were involved in, things that we were doing, and once we got saved, we, those things, we were able to stop those things right away, cold turkey, right? right? And then there are some things that is a progressive change, but the evidence that you are new is because you don't approach or you don't think about those things the same way. You don't feel, a, feel the same about it. Even if you participate in it, it's a, it's a, you know, whether you call it conviction or there's a knowing that this isn't right, right? And it's because you are new, all right? So I'm going to make my statement again. The error that we commit, the sin that we commit after getting saved is not a spirit problem. It's a mind problem. A part of your salvation experience is that you and Jesus and God the Father become one. Right? You're one. Um, The Spirit of God is on the inside of you. Okay? Your spirit is right. All is well with your spirit. Say that. All is well with my spirit. Okay? You do know that you are a spirit being, right? Your spirit, you are a spirit, you know. So the, the you know, what you see standing up here, you see, um, you know, Lamar Mills. But what you see is not me. Okay? What you see is not me. I am spirit. I live in this body. And I possess a mind. The proof of that is, well, I'll, I'll say this. Before I prove it to you, I'll make this statement. The only reason I have this body is because I'm on the earth. Everything that's on the earth has a body. In order to live on this earth, you need a body. The only reason that you were given a body, you were a spirit. God gave you a body to do what he wanted you to do while you're in the earth. So when I came into the earth, I came into a body. When I leave the earth, guess what I'm leaving? I'm leaving this body. If I were to go out of space, right? I call this, this body, your physical body, this your earth suit. Go ahead and touch it. Touch it and say, this is my earth suit. If we were to go out of space, Go up there to Kissimmee, to the space, um, Kennedy Space Center. Get in a um, spaceship or spacecraft, space shuttle, a rocket or whatever. Go into, leave this atmosphere, go into orbit, go out of Earth. You better take more than this suit, right? You need a different type of suit. What do you call that? You need a space suit. Why? Because you have left Earth. You've left the Earth, so you need a space suit. The only reason you have this body is to function here on this Earth. That's why it's your Earth suit. If, even if I were to go out into the ocean, if I got on the boat and went out to the Gulf, got out there to the middle of the Gulf, jumped overboard, If I did that with just this body, would that be a good idea? Wouldn't be a good idea. If I caught myself going deep, I wanted to go deep sea diving, could I just take my earth suit? No, because I'm no longer on the terrestrial earth. I'm in the ocean. I'm going deep. And what type of suit do I need? A scuba suit or a deep sea diving suit, right? The only reason I have this earth suit It's the function on this earth. I am, you are a spirit. You possess a mind. 
You're a spirit. You possess a mind. You live in a body. You got that? Okay. So your born again self, your spirit is awake, is alive. God's spirit and your spirit are one. God's spirit and your spirit are one. So your spirit is good. Your spirit is good. Okay. Your spirit is good. All right. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. You leave this body, you be present with the Lord. While you're in this body, you, your spirit is good. Your spirit, your born again spirit, you born again self, your, your spirit knows truth. Your spirit knows truth. Your spirit is the way that you communicate with God. You do that via your spirit. The, the, the um, lady at the well got the revelation from Jesus that Jesus told her, those that worship God, because God is a spirit, those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The way that we relay and connect and and have conversation with God is spirit, spirit to spirit, right? Our spirit is connected with God. You got that? Your spirit is good, okay? Now, what you're working on while you're on this earth is your soul, your mind. That's what needs to be renewed. Notice, you know, the scripture in Romans chapter 12 says that you need to renew your mind. We renew our mind and we bring the body into control. Okay, so while I'm on this earth, the work that I'm doing is renewing my mind. I want to think the way that God thinks. I want my mind, my thinking to line up with his thinking. Right. The scripture tells us we can put on the mind of Christ. I want to see things the way that he sees them. And as I see things the way that he sees them, as I think the way that he thinks, then I can bring my body into subjection and we can do what he does. You got that? Okay. So, but the point that I want to make to you is that your spirit is good. The thing that you're working on is your mind. So when we error, when we sin, when we fall short, post-salvation is not a spirit problem. It's a mind problem. Okay, we have to go to work on our minds. We've got to go work on thinking differently, renewing our mind. That's one of the reasons why his word is so important to us. That's why attending church services is so important. That's why fellowshipping with other believers and people who believe like you is so important. That's why feeding on the word. He told Joshua, you keep this word and meditate on it day and night. That's why these things are so important, because I got to change how I think. I have to renew my mind. All right. So this life of this life on earth, this saved life is a process of renewing our minds, changing the way that we think. Right now, listen to this. If I'm believing right, if I believe right, then I'll live right. If I believe right, then I'll live right. You get that? If I believe right, then I'll live right. Romans 12 and 2 tells us to renew our minds, right? Uh, Many times throughout the Bible, Jesus assisted people, disciples and not. He, He helped his disciples and some weren't disciples, but he helped them by correcting their believing. He helped them by correcting their belief, okay? Believing happens in your mind or in your soul. Remember your soul? Remember what it is? It's your thinker, your filler, your chooser. I want you to say that. My soul is my thinker. We can say it how y'all want to say it. Want me to say it first and then y'all say it? That's fine. All right. All right. So repeat after me. I'll put my teacher. I'm the teacher. Okay. Um, repeat after me. My soul is my thinker, my filler, my chooser, my mind, my will, and my emotions. That's what your soul is. Your soul is the seat of your decision making. Your decisions come from your soul. So you can see that if I'm not right in my soul, if I'm not thinking right, then I'll make decisions that aren't right. Then I'll cause my body to participate in things that aren't right. And I trace it back to the way that I'm thinking. But then if I renew my mind to the things of God and I put on the mind of Christ and I think the way that God thinks and I think the way that Christ thinks and I see things through his lens or his perspective, then with my mind comes my body. Do you understand that? The work that we're doing on this earth, the work that we do is the renewing of the mind. If I believe right, I live right. Okay. 
I want to make the point that Jesus helped people get to, that, get, get to this place. Jesus helped people by correcting their believing, okay? Um, there's examples in the Bible of this, um, you know, people not believing right and making decisions based on their beliefs, like the prodigal son. You know the story about the prodigal son? A man, he, and he seemed to be a very wealthy man, had two sons. One of the sons, the younger son, came to him and said, listen, just give me my inheritance now so I can go and do my thing, right? So, you know, dad said, okay. So, he, you know, cuts him a check, gives him, give him his resources, and the guy goes out and he has a good old time. I mean, he gets involved in all kinds of stuff. The Bible calls it he got involved in some riotous living, right? Did all types of things. And the reason that he approached his dad that way is because he wasn't thinking right. He wasn't thinking right. Because after he goes out there and he does his thing and, you know, and he partying, he comes to the end of himself, runs out of money, and he finds himself in a position that he doesn't want to be in. The scripture says that he came to himself. He comes to himself. He realizes that the best thing that I that I had going for me was at my daddy's house. Okay, he goes back to his dad's house. He begins to explain his situation and his thinking to his dad. And in that conversation, dad says, listen, everything that I had, everything that I had was was already open to you, already made available to you. You know, you the the freedom that you sought, you had it. I wasn't holding you, holding anything back from you. I wasn't holding you back, right? So he had to go through the process of changing his thinking, getting his thinking right. And it's the same process that we have to do, okay? There's another young guy, you know, the rich young ruler is what we call him, right? The rich young ruler. This man comes to Jesus. Imagine that. Comes to Jesus and ask Jesus, what do I have to do to have everlasting life? What do I need to do to have eternal life? Here he is standing in front of eternal life, asking for eternal life. Jesus tells him that if you want to have eternal life, this is what you need to do. Sell your goods, sell your goods, and give to the poor. Give to the poor, come follow me. That's what you need to do to have eternal life. The scripture says that the man was sad at that saying. (laughs) You heard that I had to give give some stuff up, man. I ain't trying to do that, right? And he walked away from eternal life. Now, why would he do that? Why would he walk away from the very thing that he was seeking? It was because he wasn't thinking right. He wasn't believing right. He saw what Jesus said to him. He saw it as a loss when really it was a gain. You understand that? Okay. so if you don't believe right, you're believing wrong or not believing right can cause you to do things that you really don't want to do. It's cause you to go in places you really don't want to be, right? But I'm thankful that Jesus assists us. Jesus corrects our belief. Jesus corrects our misbelief. Jesus even answers doubt. That's good news. Jesus, Jesus doesn't leave us in that place. Jesus will answer our doubt. Jesus will assist us even in our unbelief or in our misbelief, our wrong thinking. It's good news that he will minister to us even when we're thinking wrong, okay? In Mark chapter 9, go there, Mark 9. We're going to read this from the King James Version. There was a man that came to Jesus. His son was was demon-possessed and having all these challenges, and, um, you know, he'll throw fits. And I think this is the account where, you know, he told Jesus sometimes he even throws himself in fire. He puts himself in really dangerous um, situations. And, and this is what, what, what happens here. In verse 23, Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that, what? Believes. That's a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. If you can believe... All things are possible to those who believe. All things are possible for those who believe. And then verse 24 says, And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Another translation makes it like this. He says, I believe, but help me believe some more. I believe, you know, I can relate to him. I've been in some situations, I'm sure you have too, where it's like, okay, God, I believe you on this. I believe what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I even can see what you're saying. And I believe you. I believe you all the way up to this point. I believe you. 
But this one right here, ooh, help my unbelief. Help me believe some more. You understand? That's where he was. And I want to point out that here this man is, he cried out to God, confessing. He admitted, I'm at this point of believing. I believe you, but I need, help me believe more. Help me believe so this will happen. You know, I, I, I've heard your story. I've, I've heard about your miracles. I believe you're the Messiah. I believe you're G- Jesus. I believe. I believe that you're able to do this. I do have some doubt. Just help my unbelief. Help me believe more. And I believe that, you know, through religion and what we hear about God and what we hear about Jesus, we get to a place where we're afraid to admit. We're afraid to confess. We're afraid to acknowledge that, you know what? I have some doubt. There's some areas that I don't believe. And we're afraid to stand before God and and, and admit that, you know what? I'm not that confident in this area. I believe you. I mean, if I if I didn't believe you, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you, God. I believe you and I believe all the things that you've done for me. And I see all the things that you've done for me. But this right here, help my unbelief. And what I want to point out is that he answers. He does. He doesn't ridicule. He didn't walk away from the man and leave him there with his doubt. But he ministered to him. As a matter of fact, the next thing that's said is that the man cries out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And the next thing that happens is that his son was healed. Okay? We're familiar with um, Doubting Thomas is what um, we call him in this modern-day church. (laughs) Doubting Thomas. You know, I wouldn't dare call him Doubting Thomas. I don't know. If he's doubting Thomas, then all of us should be doubting. We should have some doubt. I should be doubting Lamar and everybody else should, because all of us have gotten to the point where we had some doubt, right? I, I acknowledge and I recognize that Thomas had enough courage to say, to speak up. I bet Thomas wasn't the only one in that group that said the same thing. I'm sure he wasn't the only one in that group. Y'all talking about the Messiah rose. Thomas just spoke up and said, I believe it when I see it and put my hands in it. I guarantee that there were some other folk in that group that were saying the same thing, but just scared to say so, right? And look what happens in, um, in, in, let's look at John 20. My goodness, you praying about Jesus showing himself real to you. Well, you know, on these accounts, when I see people bringing their doubt to him, confessing their doubt to him, he shows them. He clears up the doubt. Thomas says, Thomas was one of the twelve. I'm reading at verse 24. Thomas was one of the twelve, but he was not with the other followers when Jesus came. They told him, we saw the Lord. Thomas said, that's hard to believe. Can y'all relate to Thomas? Come on now, put yourself in that position. Jesus, the man you walked with this man for for the past three three years or so, you saw him crucified, you saw him up on that cross, you know he died, you know that he was buried, right? A few days later, some people come to you and say, we saw Jesus, we saw the Lord. Thomas responds, that's hard to believe, (laughs) Because I saw the man on the cross. I saw him crucified. I saw them take him down off the cross, take his limp body off the cross, put it in the tomb. Now you're telling me that you saw him? That's hard to believe. Right? Though it may be hard to believe, listen, though it may be hard to believe, allow nothing concerning the word of God to be outside of your realm of belief. Though it may be hard to believe, don't settle, don't allow anything to be outside, anything concerning God's word, anything that he said, any promise that he's made. Don't allow those things to lay outside of your realm of belief. What I mean by that is that when you recognize areas that you doubt or that you don't believe, don't let it sit there. Continue to talk. 
continue to talk to God, continue to pray about it so that you believe all that he said. Even if it's hard to believe. Don't leave yourself in a place where you disbelieve what he said. Don't settle with unbelief. Don't settle with unbelief. Again, many times we, we, will, we will, instead of asking God, instead of asking for clarity, instead of asking for understanding, we'll settle with our unbelief. And what I'm saying to you is not to. Don't settle with your unbelief. What, what we're looking at is examples in the Bible where people brought their unbelief to Jesus. And he didn't rebuke them. He helped him. The man brought his son to Jesus, said, listen, I believe that you're Jesus. I believe you're Messiah. I believe you're the son of God. But concerning my son's deliverance, I have some doubt. Help my unbelief. Jesus didn't walk away from him. Jesus helps his unbelief. Here's Thomas. Thomas, the other disciples come and say the Messiah is risen. We saw the Lord. We saw Jesus. Thomas says that is hard to believe. It's hard to believe that he rose from the dead. And let's continue. See what else he said. He says, that was hard to believe. And then he says, I will have to see the nail holes in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side. Only then will I believe it. Right. So basically, Thomas is saying, I need proof to believe that. I need proof to believe that, right? And I know here we are, you know, centuries later, and we sophisticated and everything, and we look at Thomas and and he say, man, he was doubt, and we recognize his doubt. But what areas in your life are you saying the same thing? I tell you, all of us in here, there's an area in our life where we're saying the same thing. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying about my prosperity, but you know what? I'll believe it when the checks start coming in. I believe what you're saying about, you know, by his stripes, I've been healed, but I'll believe it when I'm feeling a little better. I believe what you're saying about saving my lost relatives. I got some relatives, but I don't know if you know this one. You know how we do. You know, I hear what you're saying, Jesus, that my whole household will be saved. But I don't know if you ever met Uncle Junebug. He's a special case. Right. I believe what you're saying. But in this area right here, I'll believe it more when I see a little proof. All of us, if we be honest, we have that area. And what I'm challenging you with is that don't leave it there. Don't allow anything that God has promised you to stay on the outside of your realm of believing. Even if it's hard to believe, push it out there. Push it so that it be included in what I can believe. I'll believe it. I may not understand it, but I'll believe it. If you said it, okay, I believe it, right? So here Thomas is. Thomas expresses his doubt. He says, listen, I ain't going to believe it until I touch the nail holes, put my fingers where the nails were, put my hand into his side. Then I'll believe it. A few verses later, in verse 26, a week later, the followers were in the house again and Thomas was with them and the doors were locked. But Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, and I love this about our Lord. Look how loving he is. Look at him. He gets in the group and he goes right to Thomas. He says to Thomas, put your finger here. If this is what you need to believe, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand here in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Did he really? He didn't ridicule Thomas. He didn't leave Thomas in his doubt. He came and gave him proof. He came and showed him, right? Thomas said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Thomas went on from there with the firm belief, firm convictions. Amen? Amen. Okay. Look at Matthew um, 13, verse 58. So when we see people bring their unbelief to him, we see him respond. When you bring your unbelief to him, you'll 
respond. He'll talk to you. Okay? When you leave it in an area of unbelief, when you don't admit it, you don't um, confront your doubt, when you leave it there, then it's left there. Okay? Let's look at another group of people. Jesus goes into his hometown. It says he was teaching in their synagogues. He was teaching them. He was in church teaching. He was preaching. But uh, Matthew 13, verse 58 says, Jesus did not do many miracles there because the people did not believe in him. So Jesus was not able to do many miracles there because the people did not believe in him. Now, what's the difference? Because the man with the son didn't believe. Right or right? Thomas didn't believe. Right or right? Now, these people, they're not believing. The man's son still got healed. Thomas got his proof. Why didn't Jesus do something to show these people something different? The difference is, is they didn't bring their unbelief to him. They decided to remain in a place of unbelief. They decided to remain in a place of doubt. Do you see that? So that's what I'm saying. That let's not do the same thing. Let's not be in that same position. If there's a place where I'm doubting, if there's a place that I don't believe, I'm not just going to leave it there in unbelief. But I'm going to bring this to Jesus and we're going to have a little talk about this. Right. And he's going to bring me to a place of believing. He's going to bring me to a place of understanding. Do you understand what I'm saying? Amen. If you understand, say amen. amen. Right. We can inspect our own thinking. I can ask myself, am I seeing this the way that God sees it? Am I seeing this the way that God sees it? Am I seeing this issue the way that God sees it? Am I seeing this situation the way that God sees it? Am I seeing this relationship the way that God sees it? I can inspect my own thinking. If I look at my life and I see there's an area that I'm not getting the result that's promised, I don't leave it there. I don't leave it there. I'm not going to be satisfied if I got something going on in my life that doesn't align up with his promise. I'm not going to leave it there and, you know, I don't know what people think. Well, you know, God is sovereign or whatever we say. Or it must not be the will of God for that to happen. No. It's the will of God for everything that he promised to be manifested in your life. So if there's an area that doesn't reflect his promise, then me and God are going to talk about this. <laughs> I'm going to get some clarity on this. Right? I can inspect my own thinking. I can ask myself, am I seeing this the way that God sees it? Understand that, that having this type of conversation with God strengthens our relationship. The whole point of this is that I have a relationship with God. I have a relationship with Jesus. I should be fellowshipping with him. I should have a conversation with him. You understand that? There, there, there are things that have happened in my, my, my body where I've had to talk to Jesus about it and talk to him about it and have conversation. And Man, there's some stuff we've been having conversations on for many years now. For years. Right? Because I believe him. If he said, I'm going to be healed, I believe that. So when healing doesn't show up, I'm not just going to stop. To stop would would be to say that I don't believe you. But I'm going to investigate and see what's going on here. Maybe there's some understanding that I need to gain. This strengthens our relationship. Think about it. I mean, think about, you, you know, you have relationships with people. Think about having a relationship with a person. You got a close relationship with a person, but there's things that you keep in, in the back, outside of the relationship. That will weaken the relationship that you have with that person. If there's things that you're unwilling to talk about, right, things that you're going to leave in the back, you know, stuff happens, and instead of you having a conversation about those things, you, you keep it back there, then your, your relationship is impacted, Right? But if you grow to the point that you're able to, you know, and sometimes you got to use some, you know, use some wisdom and use some love and use some patience and kindness and tenderness and find wise ways to say it. But if I'm able to bring these things up and and we're able to have conversation about these, then our relationship is strengthened. Same thing with God. Same thing with Jesus. 
These things, I'm not going to leave them back there in doubt and unbelief, but I'm going to bring them to the table and we're going to talk about them. It strengthens our relationship. You understand that? Do you think Thomas came out stronger after Jesus came and showed himself to him? You think Thomas's conviction was stronger? He already believed who Jesus was. You think he was more convinced after Jesus came and showed him? What about the man with the son? You think he was more convinced after Jesus? You think he still had the same doubt after Jesus healed his son? No, of course not. The relationship is strengthened. The bond is strengthened. The conviction is deepened. There's real relationship here. There's some things that I understand. There's some things that I thought that I wanted. I went to God. I prayed for some things. I thought I wanted them, and it wasn't happening, and it seemed like the doors were closing, and I'm like, God, I want this. What's going on? And through having conversation, after the conversation happens, I realize, man, I don't even want that. (laughs) Right? Or that's not even wise for me to have. But it's through the conversation. Okay? And, you know, that's, that's reflected in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3, if you want to notate that. Proverbs 16, verse 3 talks about us committing ourselves to God. You commit yourself to God. You roll and you roll, you know, your, your um, not just your care, but you roll your life on him. You give your life to him. Commit your ways to him. And he will make your thoughts agreeable to his will. This was what happens in the conversation. He will make your thoughts agreeable to his will. What happens when your thoughts become agreeable to his? Then your plans will succeed and be established. We started on this journey. I was thinking a different way. I get in the journey. I'm having conversations with God about it. Now me and God are thinking the same way. Then whatever we're thinking is guaranteed to happen because I got the mind of God on it. But that happened through the process of me having conversation with him. Do you understand that? Amen. Now, here's some examples of people who do it right. Here's some examples, some Bible examples of people who got it right. Okay. Um, We know and we're familiar with the lady with the issue of blood. Remember, the Bible talks about a lady who had an issue of blood. One, One says, um, 12 years she had this issue of blood, right? 12 years she spent all her money. She did all she could to get it taken care of and didn't find a solution. She hears about Jesus coming to her town. And her belief, what she said in her mind, her belief was, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'm going to be healed, right? Her believing, her believing then created her actions. She followed out on what she believed, she touched the hem of, her, of, the, of his garment, and she was healed because she had her believing in the right place. She settled what she believed, okay? There's another account where a woman started out, she started out not believing right. The woman, at the, the lady at the well in John chapter 4, if you want to go home and read it. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets this lady at a well, And at the beginning of this conversation, she's not thinking right. Here she is. She's talking to Jesus, but she don't recognize that it's Jesus, right? She just tries to get religious with Jesus. She's telling Jesus history and all of that kind of stuff. Jesus reveals, first she comes to the understanding that, you know, maybe he's a prophet. And then through more conversation, she realizes then, man, maybe I'm talking to the Messiah. But what I want to point out is that it was through the conversation she has through the conversation with Jesus, she, the end result is she was a believer. And not only was she a believer, but her whole life was changed, and she becomes an evangelist. And as a result of the conversation that she was willing to have with Jesus, Samaria got saved. Do you understand that? Because she was willing to have the conversation. And it was a tough conversation. It was a difficult conversation. For one, tradition said that a Jew shouldn't be talking to a Samaritan. Tradition says that a Jewish man shouldn't be talking to a Samaritan woman. Tradition said that a Jewish rabbi, which Jesus was, shouldn't be, definitely shouldn't be talking to a Samaritan woman, right? So this is a tough conversation. And then she gets in the conversation, and Jesus starts reading her mail. You ain't married. The man that you're living with, that's not your husband. You don't have five husbands. So it was not an easy conversation. 
but she has the conversation. And because she's willing to have the conversation, the end result is she, her life has changed. The shame is gone. No more shame. The reason she came to the well, the time of day that she came to the well is because she was ashamed of who she was. But after having a conversation with Jesus, all the shame left. She was bold enough to go and tell all the people, I have met a man. You need to come and see him. And she had so much conviction and there was so much confidence in the experience that she had that they followed her. They followed her to the well. Right. Because she was willing to have a conversation. She didn't stay at the place of unbelief. She didn't stay at the place of misbelief. She didn't stay in the place of error, but she had the conversation with Jesus. He cleared it up. And then in the end of the conversation, she's believing right. Now she can live right. Glory to God. All right. So here's some things that we should be believing. Here's some things that we should believe. Here's some things that we should believe. This is a good place to take note. Good place to take some notes. You ready? Or, you know, they upload this me- these messages on, um, on YouTube. You go on YouTube, look at Revealing Truth Ministries um, page, and this is one that you want to, you know, refer to, meditate on. These are things that we should believe because right believing equals right living. Right believing equals right living. Let's start in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 2, I'm going to read this from the Amplified Version. It says this. It says, may grace, grace is God's unmerited favor, it's favor that you didn't earn. May grace and spiritual peace, spiritual peace, which is peace with God and harmony, unity and undisturbedness, be yours. From God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? He says, first off, I want you to have unmerited favor with God. Think about that, folks. Don't let the the familiarity with those words just wash over you, but really hear them. He says, I want you to have unmerited favor with God. He says, I want you to be favored with God beyond what you earn. I want you to have a favor with God that you didn't work for. You didn't work for it. You didn't pay for it. You didn't do anything for this. I want you to have favor with God. You know what favor is? You know what favor is, right? To be favored means to be preferred. He says, I want you to be preferred with God, and you don't even have to work for this. I want you to be preferred with God, and it has nothing to do with your behavior. But I want you to be preferred preferred, thought of first, special treatment. I want you to have favor with God. And then he says spiritual peace, which means I want you to be at peace with God. I want you to have peace with God. You know, I believe that the number one, the the problem with men and the root of of many of the things that men does, men, mankind, the the root of it is, is that they're not at peace with God. Not being at peace with God causes shame. Not being at peace with God causes um, um, depression. Not not being at peace with God is what causes um, low self-image and low uh, self-motivation and all those things. The root of it is that you're not at peace with God. But he prays for us is that we be at peace with God and that we be in harmony with God. That we have unity with God and, I like this one, and undisturbedness. I like the idea that my relationship with God is undisturbed, right? I want you to say this. Say, I have peace with God. God. Say it again. Say, I have peace with God. God. Come on, say it from your belly like you're convinced about it or like you're trying to. Listen, you either need to be convinced or you need to be trying to convince yourself, right? And if you, you, so so you you should sound a certain way. You should sound like you're either convinced or you should sound like you're trying to convince yourself. Do you understand that? Ain't nothing wrong with being in a place where you're trying to convince yourself. We just don't want to stay there. At some point, you should be convinced, right? But ain't nothing wrong with having to confess something to convince yourself, okay? So let's try it again. I have peace with God. I'm in harmony with God. I'm in unity with God. 
My relationship with God is undisturbed. Jesus did it. I receive it. Now, understand what you just said. Your relationship with God is undisturbed. That means that whenever you feel some disturbedness, whenever you are disturbed, it's in your mind, not in your spirit. In your spirit, your spirit is anchored in him. Okay. whenever you feel like you are disturbed, it's in your mind, not in your spirit. Now, that's a good thing to know. It's a good thing to know that the challenges that I'm having, they're in my mind and it has nothing to do with my spirit. Because if it has something to do with my spirit, I might feel like I can't do nothing about that. But if I know that it's in my mind, this is my mind. Your mind is your mind. What does that mean? You're in authority over your mind. So if I find myself in a place where I am disturbed in my mind, then all I got to do is change my mind. That is beautiful. That is powerful. So I'm not at the mercy of circumstances, situations, environment, or other people because my mind is my mind. And if I find myself being disturbed, then all I got to do is change my mind. I just changed my mind. Hallelujah. I'll change my mind. Amen. In Luke chapter 8, verse 41, starting at verse 41. I'm going to skip around a little bit. We're going to read verse 41, 42, then skip down to 49 and 50. Now, this is the beauty in being in, in, in the actual church service, physically being in church services. You have somebody next to you who can nudge you if you need a nudge. So you can look to the person to your left and your right. If they need a nudge, you help them out. Amen. If you're by yourself at home, you ain't got that. You fall asleep, you just sleep, right? But when you're here, you can get a little nudge. Amen. Glory. <laughs> Luke 8, um, starting at verse number 41. See, I gotta, we got we to gotta get this right. We're getting ready to go into 2019. I got to go in there thinking right. I can't subject myself to the things that's going to happen in the world. Listen, there's some things coming that's going to happen in the world around you. And if you aren't if you aren't settled in this, then you can be moved. Right. So what is happening right now? The Holy Spirit is shoring up, shoring us up. He's he's he's, you know, you, you know, want some stiffness, some some resolve. Right. I want to stand on these promises and I ain't moving. OK, I don't care what's happening around me. I will not be moved. So that's what's happening. If I believe right and I'm in control of my believing, then I can live right no matter what's happening around me. Even if this world is changing, I know one thing that hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. His promise hasn't changed. His view on me, his perspective and his perception of me hasn't changed. I'm still his beloved. I'm the apple of his eye. I'm precious to him. He did all that he did for me. That hasn't changed. So I can still, no matter what's happening around me, I can still stand firm on what he said. You understand that? Glory to God. So at verse 41, it says, and behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. There was a bunch of people around him. While he yet spake, while Jairus is telling him what's happening, there came one. I skipped down to 49. While he yet spake, there came one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, from his house, saying, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the master. You understand that? So here Jairus is. He sees Jesus, presses through the crowd, comes to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, my daughter is dying. I need you to come heal her. I believe that you can heal her. While he's doing that, some other things happen. Ruler, someone comes from his house and says, don't bother the master anymore. Your, die, your daughter who was dying is now dead. Leave Jesus alone. There's no reason for him to come. That's what happened. Okay, and look, look at how Jesus responds. Verse 50. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, fear not, believe only and she shall be made whole. You see that? Fear not, believe only. What is Jesus telling Jairus? Jairus, the solution is in your believing. 
Even though you've heard a negative report, you heard these things, you heard what they just said, fear not, your believing won't change what I was already set out to do. That's what he's telling you and I right now. Your believing won't change what he's promised to do in your life. Even if you hear negative all around you, you hear evil reports all around you, keep your believing where it was before you heard anything wrong. It's your believing that's going to bring the promise. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse number 3. It says, from the Amplified, it says, May blessing be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm, even as in his love he chose us. This is something that we should be believing. He chose us. He actually picked us out for himself as his own. Say, God chose me. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. You see that? That we should be holy, consecrated, and set apart for him. So I should be believing that God chose me and he set me apart. And he chose that I be blameless in his sight. Oh, goodness. Hold on now. So God chose me to be blameless in his sight. God chose me as his own in Christ that I be blameless in his sight, that I even be above reproach before him in love. So God is looking at me like a loving father looks at a child. He looks at me through the lens of love. The scripture says that love will cover a multitude of sin. So God isn't holding things from me because I messed up, messed up or made a mistake. I believe because of the scripture, I believe that he chose me. He chose me as his own. He chose me in Christ, and I stand before him. He sees me as blameless. He's not holding things against me, but he sees me in love. He sees me through the eyes or through the lens of love. You see that? This is what I'm believing. This is what we should be believing. For he foreordained me, destined us, planned in love for us to be adopted, revealed as his own children through Jesus Christ in accordance with the purpose of his will because it pleased him and was his kind intent. You see that? So that we might be to the praise and the commendation of his glorious grace, which he so freely bestowed on us in the beloved. What that means is that he did this so that the end result would give him glory and we can't take glory. Why did he choose you? He chose you or he chose us. He chose the thing that was less significant, the Bible says, the thing that doesn't deserve it. They they didn't earn it. They don't deserve it. But I'm going to choose them to prove to the world and all creation how great my love is. I believe that. I receive that. That's where I sit. That's where I stand. Okay. he chose me because he loved me, not because I'm good. Not because I'm too good, not because I'm cute, none of that, but because he loved me. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, Ephesians, same verse, skip down to, well, same chapter, verse 11 says this. In him we also were made God's heritage, we're God's portion, and we obtained an inheritance. Say, I have an inheritance. inheritance. It says, for we were, we had been foreordained, chosen, appointed beforehand in accordance with his purpose. Look at this. I got to say this. Listen, if I was chosen beforehand, if it was appointed beforehand, what does beforehand mean? It means before I did anything, before I did anything good, before I did anything bad, he had already chosen me. So if he chose me beforehand, then nothing that I do, nothing that I don't do disqualifies me because he chose me beforehand. Say, I'm qualified. Glory to God. Say it again. I'm qualified. So he foreordained me, chose and appointed me beforehand in accordance with his purpose, who works out everything in agreement with the counsel and design of his own will, so that we who first hoped in Christ, who first put our confidence in him, have been destined and appointed to live for the praise of his glory. In him, you also who have heard the word of truth. Anybody in here ever heard a word of truth before? In him who have heard the word of truth, the glad tidings, the gospel of your salvation, and have believed. Do I have any believers in here? You were stamped with the seal 
of the long-promised Holy Spirit. For those of you who believe, you were stamped with the seal of the long-promised Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Stamped with the seal of the long-promised Holy Spirit. Same thing that happened to Jesus. Jesus got baptized, and it says the Spirit came down and descended upon him like a dove. That's how John the Baptist knew that it was Jesus. Listen, the way that I look at this is like this. Some years ago, I worked for UPS. I worked in the, in the actual hub in UPS, right? And, um, you know, I had, I had served my time as an unloader. You know, unloaders, people who unload the trucks. I spent some time unloading the trucks, and I graduated to the sword aisle. Got a little promotion. I think it was like 10 cents, but it was a promotion, right? So I don't have to be in the hot truck no more. I'm now in the sword aisle. And my responsibility in the sort aisle, there was a person in the truck, unloading the truck. He'll take the package, put the package on his conveyor belt. Conveyor belt package come down to me. I get the package. The package is stamped. Every package is stamped. Every package has a stamp on it. The stamp tells who the package belongs to and where the package is going. The stamp tells you how to handle the package. If it was precious, then you handle it with care. Fragile, right? So I'll stand there in the sort out, package come, I read the seal, and the seal will tell me what I needed to do with that package. And the scripture says that those of you who believe, you have been sealed. You have been stamped with the Holy Spirit. What does that do? Your stamp, your seal, the Holy Spirit is the identifying label telling everybody, every spirit, every angel, every demon, God himself looks at your seal, look at that stamp, and he knows who you are, where you're supposed to go, and how you're supposed to be handled. Because you've been stamped. Glory to God. That's good news. So I've been stamped. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And then verse 14 says, that spirit, the stamp that you got, that spirit is the guarantee of your inheritance. It's the first fruit, the pledge and foretaste, the down payment on our heritage in anticipation of its full redemption and of our acquiring complete possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's all good news. Amen. That is good news. In the in last one, last one, last one, Ephesians chapter 2. The whole chapter is good. You all should know by now that I love Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 is what I want to look at. This is how I should be believing. I should believe that God sees me as good. I should believe that I can come to him even with my doubt and unbelief and he'll clear it up for me. I should believe that he chose me even before I made a right decision or a wrong decision. He chose me. I should believe that I'm stamped. His spirit on the inside of me is evidence that I'm his and it shows everybody who I belong to and how I am to be treated in this life. Hallelujah. Those are the things that I believe. And then when I believe those things, then my actions, my life lines up to what I believe. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, it says this. It says from the Amplified, or I'm going to read it from the easy, read, easy to read version. It says, yes, it is because we are part of Christ Jesus that God raised us from, the de- from death and seated us together with him in the heavenly places. Do you see that? God raised us from the dead and seated us with him in heavenly places places. The um, Amplified says, and he raised us up together with him and made us sit down together, giving us joint seating with him in the heavenly sphere by virtue of our being in Christ Jesus. So I'm seated with Christ. Say, I'm seated with Christ. What does that mean? The seat that he, if you imagine in your mind, if you get into your imagination, a throne room. God the Father is on the big throne, right? The son, Jesus, is on the throne next to him. The throne represents authority. They're just not chairs, but these are positions of authority. The throne room is the place where the king governs the kingdom. And this scripture says that I'm seated with Christ, with Jesus, in the seat of authority. Now, what does that do to my believing? If I believe that I am in the seat of authority, 
I sit with Jesus in the seat of authority. If that's what I believe, then through that authority, I determine what should be happening in my life. So when things come into my life, I have the authority that don't belong. I got the authority to say so. No, I'm not accepting this. Doesn't belong here. Nope, it's not mine. Nope, not in my house. No, not with my children. Not with my body. Not with my finances. No, I am in the position of authority and I say no to anything that doesn't line up with his word and his will for me. I sit in the seat of authority. So I'm not subject to life. I am not a victim. I am not a victim. I'm not a victim to the things that happen. I don't have to subject myself to the things that happen. I have authority. I sit with him in the seat of authority. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. Give God some praise. Amen. Go ahead and stand on your feet. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you. If you would like to help us further expand the vision, simply text the word GIVERTM to the number 41444 or visit us online at www.revealingtruth.org. Now remember, Jesus loves you.